Good morning to each of you. Welcome. It's good for us to be together this morning, and it's good to see uh, some of you that have been away from us. Welcome to those you are visiting this morning as well. I hope that this time that we spend in the Word will be instructive for you, that it will um, feed you spiritually. I said at the beginning of this year that 2023 can be the most significant year thus far in your spiritual pilgrimage. And that relies on two things make that happen. One is what our view of the Word is. How do we view the Word of God? How do we allow it to speak to us? And the second is, what is our view of the Lordship of Christ? Is Jesus truly Lord? Or are there certain areas of our life where we want to make the decision and then ask Him to bless us in that? And so this year, as uh, so far as we've been looking at various messages, my goal has not to be to persuade you to think exactly the way I think about things, but to get you to think. And to think about spiritual truth. And so again this morning, um, this message, it's going to take some effort. It's going to get a little rough, a little tough. So I don't want to lose you, but, but stick with me. It's going to require some listening and some thinking. This morning I want to talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness primarily in our relationships one with another, with other people. You know, your and my relationships really define our discipleship. Or we can look at it the other way and say our discipleship should define our relationships. But I'm convinced that the quality of our relationships with people and how we handle them is very indicative of our faithfulness as followers of Christ. The title of the message this morning is Forgiveness is mandatory for disciples of Christ. Forgiveness is mandatory. Now we know what mandatory means, right? It's a requirement. It, it's a have to. It's a, a, it's not negotiable. If we are to be disciples of Christ, we, we must forgive. And if we don't forgive we can't be disciples of Christ. They're mutually exclusive of one another. Open your Bible this morning to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts 1, verses 12 through 26. And when we talk about forgiveness, I want us to understand that forgiving other people first has to be rooted in our understanding of our forgiveness by God. It first of all has to be rooted in our understanding of that vertical relationship because it's only as we truly understand how undeserving we are, how in need of forgiveness we are of our Heavenly Father, that then in any situation, no matter how egregious, no matter how repetitive, no matter how long an offense has happened, we can forgive. Jesus chose 12 men to partner with him in his earthly ministry and then to carry out the assignment of building the kingdom of God after he ascended to his Father. And in choosing those 12 men, Jesus modeled to us how critically important it is for us if we are to walk in purpose in order to fulfill an assignment, how critically it is that we be in right relationship with the right people doing the right thing. Right relationship with the right people doing the right thing. Any of those threes can cause us to not fulfill the assignment God has in our life. Right relationship with the right people doing the right thing. Now the time setting of this passage in Acts 1 is 40 days after the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. The ascension happens, and we're about 10 days before Pentecost. Follow with me as I read Acts 1, verses 12 through 26. This is right after the ascension. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue a seldoma, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and, let, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two. Joseph, called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Forgiveness is mandatory for the disciple of Christ. In the book of Acts, the same writer who wrote the Gospel of Luke ended with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we come to Acts 1, he now resumes the account. We're some 40 days after the resurrection. And if you put together all the accounts of the four gospel writers and the writings of the Apostle Paul, we find that there were 12 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus from the morning he resurrected until his ascension. Twelve times that Jesus appeared unto his disciples and in time occasionally even to the public. Now, are you with me this morning? From the time Jesus ascended, that first day of the week, until the day that he, he res resurrected, until the day he ascended, 12 times he appeared unto his followers. And here on the day of his ascension in Acts chapter 1, there are 120 disciples who are gathered in this upper room. There are 120 disciples who have witnessed his ascension, heard his final instructions, and his promise that one day I will return in like manner as you've seen me go. And that promise we cling to today, that he will return. Jesus shows himself to them. He ascends into a cloud of their sight. And then Luke records that the apostles following Jesus' instruction return to Jerusalem to the upper room. And there are about 120 of them. Luke takes time in his writing to list the apostles. You find that in verse 13. This is one of five places that the apostles are all listed. And he lists all of them. But if you notice, there are only 11. Why aren't there 12? 
Judas Iscariot is not there. Judas, the brother of James, is mentioned, is actually another name for Thaddeus. Judas Iscariot is not there. Judas Iscariot is already dead. Now, when you do a bit of a Bible study this morning, and, and I don't have time to, to fully flesh this out, maybe another time, but when you read the Gospel accounts, we encounter at times variation in detail. I'm sure you have noticed that of different events that the Gospel writers record. One of the things we need to remember is that those accounts were written over the space of that first century. John's Gospel being the latest of those. And each of the Gospel writers are writing about an event from their perspective. Now, Robert Wall, a noted theologian, had this to say, and I found it instructive for me in dealing with this. He says, whenever you see a variation of detail, don't spend time trying to debate which one is right. Hold the different details in reflection and allow the difference to open your eyes to new revelation." Let me read it again. When you see variation in detail in the gospel writings, don't spend time trying to debate which one is right, but rather hold the difference in reflection and allow that difference to open your eyes to new revelation. See, simply put, if you see a different detail, don't try to figure out which writer was right and which one was wrong, but allow the God of Scripture to speak to you through those different details. Now, now this is important this morning when we come to the record that Luke gives of the death of Judas. What happened to Judas after he betrayed Jesus? Anyone? What happened to Judas after he betrayed Jesus? Young people remember? He hung himself, Sheldon. Where do we find that? We find that in Matthew's record. According to Matthew, in Matthew chapter 27, here's what happened to Judas. He betrayed Jesus. When he saw that Jesus was condemned to die, he felt remorse. He regretted what he had done. He went to the temple with the 30 pieces of silver, tried to give it back to the chief priests and the rulers. They refused it. He threw the money down on the temple floor and went out and hung himself. But that's what most of us are familiar with. We're familiar with the Matthew account. But when we read Luke's account in Acts 1, verse 18... We find Luke says the demise of Judas happens differently than we may have assumed from the details that Matthew recorded. Luke says Judas betrayed Jesus. He purchased a field with the money. And then sometime after he purchased the field, he's out in the field and he falls and his bowels gush out. And all Jerusalem heard of it. Now, the most important thing, and I don't have time to go to it this morning, there's a way to rectify and bring those together. But, but the most important thing for you and me to understand this morning is, the most important difference is not in how Judas died or where Judas died, the most important thing for you and I to grapple with this morning is, when did Judas die? You see, the most important thing about Luke's revelation is that Judas was alive after the resurrection. Now, I told you it's going to get tough this morning. Judas did not die before or immediately after his betrayal of Christ. Remember, 
Judas betrayed Jesus Thursday night. And Jesus was crucified on Friday. Now the women that were following Jesus wanted to anoint the body Friday. But, but the laws regarding the Jewish Sabbath prevented them from doing that. They had to wait until the first day of the week. Do you realize those same laws that prevented the women from anointing the body of Jesus also prevented any legal transaction? So Judas could not have even begun the process of purchasing land until the first day of the week. So Judas was alive when Jesus was resurrected. And if you examine the Jewish laws, acquisition of land took between seven and ten days to complete. Which would indicate that Judas was alive for at least a week after the resurrection. And according to Paul's record, it would indicate at least eight days that Judas was alive. Judas is alive when Jesus begins to show himself to his disciples. Now, when we get to Acts 1, Peter and the rest of the 120 disciples are in the upper room. And Peter takes charge. Peter takes control. He stands up as the leader. He sets the agenda and he begins to speak. Peter tells the rest of them there's important business we must transact today. We have to replace Judas. Now, I want you to catch that. Peter's in charge. You remember Peter, don't you? You remember what Peter did just 40 days before this? Peter denied that he knew Jesus. And not one time, three times. And the third time he denied he knew him with an oath. Peter placed his own salvation in jeopardy when he denied Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Forty days before this, Peter denied. He even knew Jesus three times. Now here he is back in the upper room with the other disciples and he's in charge. Let me ask you a question. Who voted for Peter? How have these other ten disciples chosen to forgive Peter for what he did and restored him in charge. You know, it's interesting, in each of the gospel accounts, as well as in Luke, when the apostles are all listed, Peter's always listed first. Always. How is Peter's name still on the list when Peter denied that he even knew Jesus? Well, that's a good question. At some moment, at some place in time in these 40 days, these other 10 disciples decided to forgive Peter and to restore Peter. They decided to give Peter another chance. At some point, they welcomed Peter back into the group and they restored his place of leadership. At some moment, they chose to forgive Peter. Now, the question for us this morning is why? I think they remembered something or became aware of something that I don't want you nor me to ever forget. 
and that is this. Offense, being offended, being wronged, being hurt, is inevitable. But forgiveness is mandatory. You and I cannot escape being hurt by other people. Strangers, brothers and sisters, parents, spouses, neighbors, even brothers and sisters in the church. You can't get away in your lifetime from your heart being broken. You can't get away from someone betraying your trust and your confidence. You can't get away from someone taking advantage of you. You can't get away from someone speaking wrongly of you. Somebody is going to do you wrong. But the, the, the command, the requirement of a disciple is you and I must forgive. We must forgive. Maybe the disciples forgave Peter when, when they remembered that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Maybe they remembered in Matthew 18 when Peter asked Jesus a question, how often when my, my brother sins against me must I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Maybe they forgave because they remembered that day on the mountain when Jesus says, if, if you hold other sins, God will hold your sins. Maybe the ten of them got together and remembered that the night that Jesus, that Peter denied Jesus, they also abandoned him. Maybe they remembered that they also are sinners in need of forgiveness. Maybe they got together and, and realized that they too have failed. They too need forgiveness. Maybe they came to the realization that before God, there is no hierarchy of sin. You know, it amazes me how easily you and I can make someone else's sin greater than our own. I'm convinced this morning they forgave Peter for four reasons. Number one, they realized that forgiveness is mandatory. Secondly, they realize that they too need to be forgiven. Thirdly, they realize that there is no hierarchy of sin. And last of all, they realize that the shed blood of Christ can cover any sin. You know, the songwriter said it reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood, the blood of Christ can forgive every sin. You see, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you have been doing it, you can be forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? And the room is silent. You ought to be jumping to your feet. You ought to be waving your hands. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter how long you have done it, you can be forgiven. You see, they forgive Peter because forgiveness is mandatory. They forgive Peter because they realize that they too need forgiveness. They, they forgive Peter because they realize there is no hierarchy of sin. They forgive Peter because 
their master's blood covers all sin. Well, I want to suggest this morning that the reason they forgave Peter is the same reason they had to forgive Judas. Now, I told you it's going to get tough this morning. Judas could have been forgiven. Judas had forgiveness available to him. Now, now that's tough in our traditional understanding because the Christian community has demonized Judas. We basically decided that if there ever was someone that deserved hell and to go there immediately, it was Judas. Have you recently passed any church, St. Judas Church? There's no book in the Bible named for Judas. Alvin, you don't even name your dog Judas. You see, the same reason the disciples had to forgive Judas is the same reason the disciples had to forgive Peter. Because forgiveness is mandatory for disciples. Because like Judas, they all needed forgiveness. And because there is no hierarchy of sin with God. And because the blood of Christ is powerful enough to forgive Judas. Judas could be forgiven and Judas was still alive. You see, the problem in Acts 1, though, is that Judas is dead. Peter is back in the room leading the disciples, but Judas is not there. You see, when Judas was alive, he, he could have returned to the group. The disciples let Peter back in, but they let Judas go. They're willing to restore Peter while they're willing to release Judas. Now, we need to understand this morning, why were they willing to allow Peter back in and yet willing to let Judas go? And I think the answer is because the issue is not forgiveness. The issue is reconciliation. You see, offense is inevitable in our lives. As followers of Christ, forgiveness is mandatory. But reconciliation is optional. Forgiveness is unilateral. For me to forgive you requires action on my part. It requires nothing on the offender's part. But reconciliation is unilateral. It requires forgiveness on the part of the one who has been offended, but it also requires repentance and change of behavior on the part of the offender. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. And I think it's been a problem sometimes for us, especially in our conservative circles, we have not understood that forgiveness and reconciliation are two distinctly different things. Reconciliation requires forgiveness, but forgiveness does not require reconciliation. That is the goal, always. But true forgiveness does not require, nor does it always, successful in reconciliation. I say again, offense 
Being hurt, being wrong is inevitable. There is nothing you and I can do to protect ourselves against that. That will happen. Forgiveness is mandatory. We must in every situation, no matter how egregious, no matter how repetitive, no matter the depth of the hurt, we must forgive. And we find the strength to forgive not when we consider our offense, what happened to us. That's where we get stuck. But I can't believe he or she did that and they did it. My pain was at their profit. They intentionally did that with no regard for me and my feelings. When we focus on the offense, we find it difficult to forgive. Our first focus must be not on the offense and the offender, but on our relationship with God and how desperately we need forgiveness of God. And when you and I get an accurate picture repeatedly over and over and over and over again, how desperately I need forgiveness of God, then and only then, can we in any situation, in every situation, we can then look to our brother, our sister, or another person, and we can forgive. The person who has been raped can forgive the rapist. The parents whose children have been massacred in school can forgive that murderer. The husband's whose wife has been killed by a drunken driver can forgive that driver. There's nothing that offender can do to deserve your forgiveness. It's not about deserving. But when you and I understand how desperately we need God's forgiveness, then and only then can we turn to those who have offended us and forgive. But I repeat, forgiveness is mandatory, but reconciliation is optional. You can forgive someone and still decide, we got to go our separate ways. You can let it go, and you can let them go. There is nothing unscriptural about forgiving someone and still determining that we cannot fellowship anymore. The young lady who has been raped by someone in authority over her is not required to have an ongoing relationship with that person. You can forgive and decide not to be reconciled. We need to hear that this morning. Inevitably, in every relationship, when an offense comes, what you and I have to decide is, are we dealing with a Peter? Are we dealing with a Judas? Is this someone I can reconcile with? Or is this someone I need to release? Is this someone that I need to seek to restore relationship with? Or is this someone I need to separate from? Is this a relationship I can salvage and make it work? Or is this a relationship I need to let go? Is this someone I need to let back into my life? Or is this someone to whom I need to say, may the Lord watch over you and me while we are apart from one another. Is this offender a Peter? Or is this offender a Judas? You see, this is the question we need to answer this morning. What is the difference between Peter and Judas? How do you know if this relationship is to be restored or released? How do you know if you are to work to make this relationship work again? Or if you need to make peace in letting it go? And I suggest the answer to that is understanding the difference in the heart of Peter and the heart of Judas. 
The answer is found examining how Luke describes the death of Judas in Acts 1. If you look at how Luke describes Judas' actions in verse 18, you'll understand how to distinguish Peter from Judas. Judas takes the money and he buys a field. Now, in those days, the way that you had status in society was owning land. You weren't anybody significant unless you owned land. Now, when Judas had remorse about that money he had, there are a lot of things Judas could have done with that money, correct? Uh, you remember when, when Mary anointed Jesus' feet with that expensive ointment? And Judas spoke up against it and said, what a waste. I mean, that could have been used for the poor. This was a waste. So why didn't Judas give that money to the poor? Why didn't Judas take that money and feed the hungry? No, he didn't give to the poor. He didn't use it to feed the hungry. He didn't even give it back to the disciples' treasury. No, he decided to use that money in a way that would increase his social standing. He profited off of the pain that he caused. It's as though he climbed the ladder on the back of the Savior that was crucified. Judas got ahead taking advantage of the situation when someone was crucified. Judas profited off of the pain that he caused. Now, here's why the disciples let Peter back in the group. They had to forgive both of them. But here's why they let Peter back into the group and let Judas go. Peter denied Jesus, but his heart was right. Peter denied Jesus, not scheming. Peter denied Jesus out of fear. Peter did not want to die. Peter was afraid of being killed. Peter denied Jesus out of a human instinct. He was scared. Judas, however, betrayed Jesus out of greed. He went to the chief priests. He bargained to reveal where Jesus was and to identify them, him so they could arrest him. Peter was motivated by fear. Judas was motivated by greed. Well, when the disciples thought about Peter and thought about Judas... You see, the issue is not who can we forgive. Forgiveness is mandatory. You see, they have to forgive Peter and they have to forgive Judas because forgiveness, Jesus says, is mandatory. If you're going to follow me, you must forgive. So they forgave Peter and they forgave Judas because forgiveness is mandatory. They realize that they too need to be forgiven. That there is no hierarchy of sin. That Judah's sin was not worse in, in the eyes of God than Peter's sin. That sin is sin. And that their Savior's blood could cover Judah's sin as well as Peter's. You see, it's not about forgiving Judas. It's about trusting Judas. It's not, can we forgive Judas? It's, can we trust Judas? The reason disciples could not welcome Judas back in was because they couldn't trust his heart. You see, where there is no trust, there can be no reconciliation. I can forgive you, but that doesn't mean I trust you. You see, it's hard to trust someone who has used you. It's hard to trust someone who 
does not take responsibility for their actions. It's hard to trust someone who blames you for the way you feel. It's hard to trust someone who will not acknowledge their failure. It's hard to trust someone who will not change their way. But you must forgive them. You see, the issue is the disciples could not trust Judas' heart. The reason they could be reconciled with Peter was because they trust his heart. He, Peter messed up that night, but his heart was right. Peter made a mistake, but his heart was right. Peter was not perfect, but his heart was right. Judas, on the other hand, had an evil heart. In John 13, verse 2, the scripture says, Satan entered the heart of Judas. His heart was wicked. His heart was evil. And, and notice in verse 24, the disciples learned that lesson. It's time now to choose a replacement. You see, the disciples realized Judas had us fooled. Judas had us hoodwinked. We even let him carry the money. Judas looked right. He said the right things. He helped pass out the food. We fed the 5,000. But Judas messed us up. And they realize it's not about the outside. So notice when they're considering Matthias or Justice... They don't look at their resume. <laughs> Notice with me how they pray in verse 24. And they prayed saying, Thou Lord which knowest what? The hearts. Thou that knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. You see, the reason we got messed up is we didn't know the heart of Judas. God sees hearts. God knows hearts. God is not fooled by outward activity or resume. So they prayed, Lord, you who know the hearts, show us. And that's the prayer you and I need to pray when we are debating. We've been offended. We've chosen to forgive. But now we're debating. Are we dealing with a Peter? Are we dealing with a Judas? God, show me their heart. Now, now there's some good news and some bad news with this. Because, well, let me give you the bad news first. God will sometimes allow us to hurt to reveal the heart the offender. Yeah, I always thought he had my back till this happened. I, I, I always thought he loved me. How many times have we heard young girls in a dating relationship, but I thought he loved me. It's only when you experience hurt that you get a chance to see what? His heart. Sometimes God allows us to hurt to help reveal the heart of the other person. Sometimes all of us have been hoodwinked. Sometimes the only way we can see their heart is to experience some hurt. Now, now here's the good news. Sometimes God allows us some hurt to save us much more hurt down the road. Amen? Sometimes we experience an offense, and though we choose to forgive, that hurt reveals to us the heart of that person. And we can choose to let them go rather than them 
being the source of our destruction down the road. What God allows as pain in a relationship may save us from being hurt even more or being destroyed by that relationship in the future if we let Judas back in. Let me show you how God saved the disciples from Judas. Luke writes in verse 18 that Judas took the money and profited off of it. He bought a field. You know the next couple chapters in the book of Acts. How this new church decided to hold all things in common. None of them to say something was his. To be willing to sell what they had to minister to the needs of people. We even see in chapter 6 how Ananias and Sapphira were put to death because of their greed. They sold a piece of land and, and lied about how much so they could keep some for themselves. Can you imagine how Judas with his heart would have hurt the inner group of 12? If he had continued? If they had continued to be hoodwinked by Judas? But the hurt, the betrayal not only of Christ, but of them. One of us did this. He messed us up. We were to be the 12 that were to carry this. He messed us up. But the hurt of that revealed the heart of Judas. And they could let him go. Now, Peter obviously realizes it wasn't by accident that Jesus chose 12. There needs to be 12. He picked 12. There's got to be 12. I look around. All I see are 11. Peter says, we've got to choose one. And it's got to be someone like us who has, has witnessed and been with Jesus since his baptism, seen the resurrection... And his ascension. And there are two names that come right way to the top. Matthias and Justice. And Matthias is chosen. In the time when they seemed their greatest loss, Matthias was already in the room. When you think, I can't let him or her go, Matthias is already in the room. Listen, for every Moses, there's a Joshua. For every Vashti, there's an Esther. For every Elijah, there's an Elisha. God's plan and program is not crippled because someone has to be let go. Sometimes we say, but he's all I've got. She's all I've got. I've got to have them. When you have to let Judas go, God's got someone else. God has someone else. We need to ask ourselves sometimes, like I'm sure the disciples did when they were thinking about Judas. You know, we think back over his life ministry, he really didn't add that much to our group. He kept the money, but as Jesus said, he wasn't faithful with it. He, he took from it. What did Judas really add? How did Judas make us better? And when you and I are trying to decide whether someone's offended us is a Judas heart or a Peter, we need to ask ourselves the same thing. How has this person encouraged me in my spiritual walk? How has the time that I've been relating to them, has it helped me grow, or am I further from God now than I was when I met them? How is hanging out with them and spending time with them and do, how has that encouraged me? When I am down and feeling discouraged, are they one that encourages me or discourages me? You see, the difference between Peter and Judas, Peter could see the glory of God 
and what God was doing. Judas only saw the power of Jesus as a way that he could make money. Look at Peter in verse 16. Judas messed us up. It was bad. It led to the crucifixion of our Lord, but then Peter quotes Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 to let the other disciples know, no matter how bad this has turned out, God was at work because Peter has seen the glory of God. Therefore, Peter can see everything in the light of God being at work, no matter how bad the situation is, no matter how tough it is, God is still sovereign and God is still at work. You and I need to have believers in our life that say to us in our darkest times, don't quit. Hang on to your faith. Keep praying. God is still on the throne. He still has this. And people in our life that we closely associate with that don't say that, we need to let them go. See, Judas knew where the upper room was, right? He'd been there before. But Judas didn't come back. Judas always has a way to show that he hasn't repented. We all know what's like to deal with someone who won't accept responsibility for their faults. Always blames someone else. It's always your fault. Deflects the blames to others. Judas never came back. He never repented. The Bible says in verse 25, Judas chose to transgress and chose to go to his own place. Why did they let him go? When they needed 12? They let Judas go because Matthias was already in the room. God always has someone else. So this morning, the difference between Peter and Judas. Judas tried to profit off of pain. Peter admitted his failure. Judas was selfish. Peter came back. Judas deserted. If Judas is in your life and he must go, God always has a Matthias. You and I must forgive others when there is offense. Not because they deserve it, but because we need forgiveness from God. You and I must forgive others because there is no hierarchy of our sin and their sin. And you and I must forgive because the blood of Christ covers all sin. Amen.